remind, oops, uh, I muted myself, sorry. I uh, want to remind you guys, uh, this is the time of year where most people, most churches, Southern Baptist churches anyway, uh, begin to start looking at their Annie Armstrong Easter giving. Uh, and I want you to know we use, we use that video as an opportunity to keep in front of you our Give to Go missions offering. So along with the three missionary partnerships that we have as a church, then we know those, the, the Jerusalem, the Judea, Samaria, and then uh, we are working on the uttermost parts. We are actually sending one of our staff, Jeremiah, uh, is going down to... Uh, do some scouting for us. Uh, we know the, the couple very well. Uh, looking at the country of Ecuador, uh, that where we will have our uh, missions partnership there. Uh, and so uh, praying through some of that, but Jeremiah's going to be going down this summer working on that. Uh, but another way, the other things that we support through our Give to Go is our annual offerings like Annie Armstrong, Lottie Moon, Myers Mallory, all the names of the people that you probably don't know but that you've heard before. Um, we in Baptist worlds do that a lot. Um, but, uh, but anyway, and so Nam supports all of the ministries that happen in the continental United States. And so a uh, lot of church planning. Matter of fact, if you enjoy the pavement out there, if you're parking somewhere else, we appreciate that because parking is a premium here. Uh, but uh, if you enjoy our blacktop, it was given to us by donations made by the North American Mission Board. And so uh, they have been a blessing. I don't know if you've gotten a quote on that recently, but they... They, they like the asphalt, uh, and so uh, that was actually uh, donated through the, Alabama, the North American Mission Board. And so we've benefited from that, but we also want to continue to invest in that as well. And so a percentage of what we collect in our Give to Go goes to support those missions as well. So give you an idea, just so we're, we, we want to keep that in front of you, but we don't want to continually have different offerings that we're doing. Uh, we just do that one and we just continue to drive that Give to Go offering. So we do like to keep those at least once a month in front of you um, as we go forward, all right? If you will, turn in your Bibles. You may need to consort spell check first. Uh, to the book of Habakkuk. And I'll just tell you, Habakkuk has a special place in my heart. Actually, it has a special place in my crawl because I, in spiritual formations at the University of Mobile, I had to write and spell correctly every book of the Bible. And I want you to know, Habakkuk is the reason I did not make a hundred on that part of the test. Uh, apparently, it is one B, two Ks, not two Bs, one K. So um, I, I did have to deal with that, but I'll wrestle with that in my own heart and life. But now I've made it your wrestle. Now I'm just chasing a rabbit. All right. As you turn to the book of Habakkuk, man, I am excited about what God has taught us through these Old Testament prophets, the minor prophets, and how we see God's character played out. We will, this is our last of eight uh, of the eight that we have already covered, and so we'll be moving to something else next week on the area of stewardship and giving, but uh, this week is our last week in the Minor Prophets. Now, we will circle back to it. It may be a year like it was last year. Last year, we did uh, the first four in February. We did the second four in February. We may do it again in February again. We don't know. Uh, haven't planned that far out, but we will circle back and finish these Minor Prophets. But man, God has taught us so much, and so just in the way of review... I want to look at each one of these minor prophets and what God has showed us through that. In Hosea, we see a God who pursues us. In the same way that a man pursued the love of Gomer, his, his wife from adultery, right? God pursues us despite our heart and proneness to sin. In Joel, we see a God who restores, who restores the fortunes of his people. We see in the book of Amos a God who sees us, who sees wickedness and who moves in action, but a God who is not taken by surprise on anything. In Obadiah, we saw a God who finishes what he starts. He who promised is able to finish what he starts. In Jonah, we saw, Jeremiah taught of a God who teaches mercy, not just for his people, but for all of those who would call on him and repent. In Micah, we saw a God who remembers his promises. 
Right? It's one thing to remember your promise. It's one thing to promise something, but to have the, the power to fulfill those promises. God remembers and he fulfills his promises. In Nahum last week, we saw a God who judges evil. It's important for us to understand that we serve a God who does not dismiss judgment of evil. Even in this love-saturated culture, we love to emphasize it's promotional to talk about God's love in these ways. It is, God's love is also protective. And that is where we see the judgment of, his holy, of, of evil. <coughs> then finally today in the book of Habakkuk, we're going to see in this return series, a God who deserves our trust. It is so easy to allow circumstances and situations to come into our life and to steal our attention, to steal our uh, hearts, to cause us to, what I would call, to go into an episode of spiritual amnesia and miss the, what God is doing and neglect the fact that we serve a God who is in control. He deserves our trust. James tells us without faith, it is impossible to please God. Now think about that for a second. Think about the way that we like to live our life with the safety nets that we like to have in place. Sure, I will follow God on mission, on a mission trip, as long as I can see where $1,200 is going to come from. I will follow God uh, in the area of giving as long as I have 10% of my check left over at the end of the pay period, right? It's, it, it, and, and, but what we see is that God rewards faith. Wow, without faith it's impossible to please God. And we can trust him as he provides. As always, in the time in which Habakkuk is written, it's key to understand what he is sharing and the message that he's sharing. So we have here a timeline. Uh, if you can see, Habakkuk is smack dab in the middle uh, right there. It's coinciding with the very, very end of Josiah's reign. I would actually scoot this uh, forward just a little bit, but it's not very much different to the matter. Um, but the very end of Josiah's reign, and then in the reigns of Jehoiakim and uh, Zedekiah and these other guys that we don't know a whole lot about, we just know that they were not good kings, right? And so he's writing in a time where the northern kingdom, as you see up there at the top, the Burgundy uh, timeline, it's already been destroyed. So Samaria is gone. Uh, the Assyrians have taken over. They preserved the southern kingdom for 200 more years, 150 more years, but they are about to go into exile. So 586. So not long after uh, Habakkuk is written there, Jerusalem goes into exile from the Babylonians. And so what they're doing is with the time in which um, has, uh, the time in which Habakkuk is written, Habakkuk is looking around and he's seeing the sin that remains in Judah. And even though Josiah had come in and made some reforms, uh, there was still so much sin in God's people, in the southern kingdom. And Josiah and, and Hezekiah, excuse me, my gosh, Habakkuk, the name is leaving me. I've preached on it all day. Uh, Habakkuk is trying to detail to God how he wants to see God move, right? God, uh, Habakkuk begins with addressing the sinfulness that the prophet saw in his immediate context. And he wants God to address the sinfulness that he sees in Judah. These people are acting a fool, God. You must judge them. How long, O oh Lord, are you going to allow sin to go unpunished? Right? Habakkuk is unique from the other minor prophets in that it details one man's conversation with God regarding evil and justice. This is a call and response, a question and an answer dialogue between God and his prophet. Now, it is written down because God tells him to write it down. Right? He will literally say, hey, write this down in Habakkuk chapter 2. Write this down on tablets of stone. But this is a conversation, and then Habakkuk just writes out what God is telling him for very specific purposes that we'll talk about. Right? But Habakkuk begins with addressing this sinfulness, and it's written uh, in a time where sin was almost completely pervasive in the people of Judah. So let's look first at desiring God's justice, number one. 
desiring God's justice. Habakkuk 1, verse 1. The oracle that Habakkuk the prophet saw. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed. This, this beautiful thing, this beautiful standard that you have given God's people to work within the framework of is paralyzed. It's powerless because people aren't doing it. And justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous, so justice goes forth perverted. Yeah. I mean, it is called justice, but it is perverted. Now, Ma- uh, Micah tells us some, gives us insight into some of this sin, right? There's violence everywhere that people are killing people and taking their land, and then they're, they're hiring the officials. They're bribing the officials to say that everything was kosher and nothing really happened so that they can get a ruling and they can legally acquire the land. They are displacing families of those that are poor that can't protect their land. They're di- displacing families. They're causing women to have to sell their body into sex industry. Like, the children are being sold as slaves in other areas. I mean, this is terrible stuff. Things that should not be happening in God's people. And Habakkuk is looking at it, and he's asking the question that any of us would ask in that circumstance. How long, O Lord? He's probably asking the question that some of us are asking about our country right now. How long, when we watch TV, how long, O Lord, are you going to allow evil to go unpunished? Can we just check that perspective before God right now? Would you join me in prayer? Father, you are good, and you are holy, and you are just. So, Father, I pray as we lean on you, as we deal with a prophet that had struggled discerning what you were doing in your activity God, I pray that you would give us discernment through this context. God, to see where you're moving. God, to align ourselves with that. And God, to always trust in everything. To always trust that you know what you're doing. That you are eternal and you are good. May we approach your throne with humility, Lord, as we delve into your word today. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'm going to be honest with you. I don't watch a lot of news. I don't watch a lot of news because there's no such thing as as unbiased news. Uh, And I got one news outlet that'll make me so mad because I know what they're saying is not true. And then I'll go to another news outlet that I typically agree with, but it's so, there's so much um, bias. There's, the way things are said are so skewed that it provokes in me anger. Can I just be honest with you? And so I, and, and I'm, look, I'm not one that says you need to stick your head in the sand and all that kind of stuff. But I remember very, very distinctly watching news and thinking, I wish God would take this person out. Like, I wish he would be done with them. They're leading, he's leading people astray. The world would be better. And immediately I think about that. I think about the headspace that Habakkuk is in. God, how can you allow evil? And that, by the way, that's a question that we don't just see in Habakkuk. We see it really from the fall of man all the way to Revelation. You remember Revelation, the, the saints are around the throne and they're clothed in white and they're asking God a question. You know what they're asking him? How long, oh God? How long are you going to allow evil to go unpunished? But Habakkuk is looking as I watch a news outlet and I'm looking and I'm going, God, I can't believe you would allow this. I can't believe you would allow this, and I can't believe you'd allow this. But what we see in that, man, we see our human perspective. Do you know what is completely lost when we begin to do that? What is completely lost in that perspective is an understanding of our own sin. We love the grace of God... 
in as much as it applies to us. And now that we have received grace, now God's judgment can fall on everyone else. We love God's grace as it relates to us. God's judgment is yucky as it relates to us. But God's judgment is great when it's to people that have it coming. The reality is we all had it coming. Everybody. And so he says, God, how long are you going to allow this thing to happen? Uh, This is echoes throughout time and throughout the canon of Scripture. He watches justice being perverted and he begs God to step in. God, if you are good, you would not allow this. Some of us may have said those very things. And let me just say something about prayer right here. First of all, I'll tell you, God is not offended by the honesty of your prayer. And there are times... That we, I have seen people approach God as if he is offended by the, what they really believe. Can I tell you if you already believe it or if you feel it, God knows it? You're, it's not, is it, is it ever dawned on you that nothing has ever dawned on God? Like he's not going, oh dang, Will's really upset with me. Shoot. He's not doing that because he knows. Habakkuk is... Very plain. What is amazing is he knows where to go with his prayer. He knows where to go to find the answers. But what he understands and what we see in by chapter 3 in the posture that he takes is, listen, God is big enough for your questions. God is big enough, and you can go to him to find answers. But God is God alone, and he is not locked into some rule that says he has to answer your questions. There are some things that we will will require for us to live in faith that we may not know, not just today or tomorrow, but we may never discern until we have the perspective of God. Would we follow him regardless? But we see this, he watches justice perverted and he begs God to step in. We can become so wrapped up at times in the sin of others that we miss our own sinfulness. Man, we point fingers at a judicial branch or a legislative branch or an executive branch at the White House or the governor's mansion, or we, we, we point all these fingers at people and go, man, if they would just be different. But the problem in our country is not political. The problem in our country is spiritual. And last time I checked, it wasn't the White House that was called to dictate spiritual culture. It was the church. The problem is not some branch of government. The problem is a paralyzed body of believers who have been silent forever and have not been who God has called them to be. Revival is not something that we ask for God to do in someone else's heart. It's something that God must do in our heart first. Oh, God, bring revival to the White House. No, God, bring revival in my heart and then let me be your hands and feet right in full view the sinfulness in our own heart and so what is lost in there is that but God responds again God will respond to us even his non-responses are responses right Habakkuk 1 verse 5 through 7 here's what he says okay big boy this is what you want this is what you get Verse 5, look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded. Now, this is one of those passages of Scripture that are put on walls of people's homes uh, or are claimed as life verses and completely taken out of context. For I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. We'll put that like, oh, yeah, God's going to do a work in my home. I wouldn't believe even if I was told. And we're like, yeah, this is great. In context, this is really, really bad news for Habakkuk. (laughs) He's going to be so amazed, not in just the, oh, God, you're so good. He's going to be amazed at what are you doing, God? The whole premise of Habakkuk is two main complaints. Habakkuk starts with a big complaint, and then he ends with a bigger complaint. 
listen to what he says. For behold, I am raising up a bunch of pagans, the Chaldeans. What? That bitter and hasty nation who marched through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not even their own. They are dreaded and fearsome. This is God speaking, his description of these people. Their justice and dignity go forth for themselves. They are just in their own eyes. Their justice and their dignity go forth in themselves. It doesn't come from me, it comes from themselves. God is saying, just watch. The sinfulness of my people is going to be dealt with. You can trust that. It's part of who I am. It's my character. God punishes evil. But I'm raising up this pagan nation. The Chaldeans were a southeastern part of Babylon, but it's where the rulers came from. So the rulers of Babylon were the Chaldeans, and so the name is synonymous with Babylon. So there was a transfer of power. The Assyrians were bad. The Babylonians were, were just as bad. right? So in the same way that God used the Assyrians for the northern tribe, he's going to use the Babylonians. This is what he's detailing. Before it happens, he's detailing it to Habakkuk. And Habakkuk is going, time out! This is a terrible idea. You're answering my, my prayer, but you are not doing it in the way that I expected. As I was looking for an illustration of this, I came across something on social media, because that's where we all come across something, right? Uh, I loved, uh, by the way, the men's conference. Uh, it was, uh, Tim Anderson said, he used a John Piper quote, and he said that if social media serves no purpose in the church but this, it's worth it. To prove that prayerlessness in the church is not for an absence of time. We got plenty of time. We got time to scroll for days. So we can't blame our prayerlessness on a lack of time. Good quote. I saw this on Facebook and it made me think about this. Requests that are made that are not answered in the way that they people might expect. And so this guy's uh, this, there's a guy who makes these pictures or, or, or edits these pictures. You can send a picture in. I don't know how it all works. I just know I see it on Facebook. Okay? Um, so I don't have the whole process down. You can text him or whatever later. I don't know how it works. But these guys submit pictures and ask him, hey, I need you to do something to edit this picture. And so he edits and he sends it back. The thing is, and now it's become a viral sensation, like how he's going to edit my picture in a dumb way. Uh, But they get them back in ways they don't expect. Like this. Hey, James. Oh, go back. Oh, no. The other way. Hey, James, can you please edit this picture so my brother and I can wear the same T-shirt? Thanks. They want to look like they're on the same team we have in our head. That's probably not what they were thinking, right? But they're wearing the same t-shirt. Brotherly love. That's nice. Next. Hi, James. My boyfriend is a fan of Muhammad Ali. Could you make him as a boxer? Thank you. Right? Muhammad Ali, float like butterfly, sting like bee, like make him put him on the face, on the body of Rocky or something like that. Now, this is what he comes up with. What a lovely, lovely animal with a very cool designer collar there. All right? So sure, he edited it. All right, next. Hi, James. Will you make me look like a bad boy? This is my favorite. Will you make me look like a bad boy? And I'm going to be honest with you, the way this guy's dressed, it's going to be tough. All right? Here's the placard. No sunglasses, no fanny packs, no tattoos, no mustache. The police are on their way. Right? What a rule breaker. What a bad boy. That's my favorite one, actually. All right, next. All right, hey... Can you please adjust this picture in order to make me look as if I'm holding a cliff? Thanks. First of all, the original picture taker is dumb. Like, who does not get what the girl's trying to do here? Like, come on now. But it it obviously is a man, I'm sure, that took this picture uh, and was trying to enjoy the world around him instead of taking this dumb picture. But he fixes it for her. That seems painful. Right? When you see it, it took me a minute to see it. We'll pick these out, and it took me a minute to see it. But when you see it, it you can't unsee it. Bless her heart. Um, but yeah, and so what is that? That's an answer to your request. It's just in the way that you had not intended. And that's what we see in Habakkuk. God's answering his request, but he's not doing it in the way that Habakkuk intended. And so he begins to question God's justice. So let's look secondly at questioning God's justice. Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 12. Are you not 
from everlasting, O Lord my God, my Holy One? Let me, let me give you the lick skillet translation of that. Hadn't you been around a minute? That's literally what he's saying. Hadn't you been around? Were you born last night? Aren't you from everlasting, O Lord, my Holy One? We shall not die. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. Now, the Hebrew language does not have punctuation. I think the interpreters of this got it wrong. I think that's a question mark. That might be an exclamation point and a question mark, right? Like, so, hang on. You're telling me, O everlasting God, that... In all of history, that you think this is the appropriate way to handle this problem. Yeah, there's sin in Israel. There is more sin in Babylon. You're telling me you're going to handle sin with greater sin? Listen to what he says. O Lord, you have ordained them as judgment, and you, O Rock, have established them for reproof. You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up man more righteous than he? Babylon was in a land grab at this time in history. I mean, they were becoming very prominent. They were getting the reputation almost equal to that of the Assyrians. They weren't quite as... Uh, as, as vicious and quite as, as, as horrible as the Assyrians. They were a little more upper class. You know, you've seen the hanging gardens. I mean, there's some, there's some pretty elaborate things going on in Babylon. They're known for their decadence and stuff. And so that kind of placates a little bit of that. But they are, gra- they are going everywhere. And they are taking over all these countries at this time. He's going, God, how can you allow this? They're so prideful. They're so self-centered. They trust only in themselves. They don't trust in you. At least we, at least in our documentation, say that we love God. Like, that's not even in their constitution, right? Regardless if we're living for it, I mean, it's not there. You can listen to Habakkuk's accusative tone as he talks with God. Lord, you are holy and eternal. You're telling me there's not a better way. I'm a, I want you to like raise up a judge, you know, that's going to come up and going to smack around all these horrible people. Like, don't fight fire with fire. In your purity, how can this be your answer? And listen, guys, we see a prophet, a man of God, who is asking some serious questions. He is grappling with this issue. God, how can this be the case? Listen, I want you to know, it's okay to have questions. What's not okay is to not seek questions. The answers to seek what God is truly doing, seeking the heart of God. Yeah, you may never receive the answer, but the goal of prayer and seeking is not to get an answer. The goal is to get closer to a God that we can learn to trust, that through history has proven that He is trustworthy. Worthy, And so he's telling them here, like, I don't understand what you're doing. Listen to what he says in verse 14. You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them up with a hook. God, we are like fish in a barrel to the Babylonians. That he is just throwing out a hook, catching one, and bringing it back in. Countries are like fish in a barrel. He just, here's another country that we're taking. Here's another one. Here's another one. And when he gets tired of that, it says that he gathers them in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and is glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. The god Marduk, right, was a god of uh, of all living things, but of specifically of the fish in the sea. And he worships his net and he makes offerings to his dragnet. For by them he lives in luxury and his food is rich. Is he then to keep on emptying his net and mercilessly killing nations forever? God, how can this be your answer? I mean, he is just harvesting country. The Babylonians are harvesting country after country after country. Are you telling us we're just going to be another one of of the long line of countries that Babylon takes over? Like, how can you continue to allow this? This is the second accusation, the second question that he brings, the second complaint to God. 
that Israel and other nations are to be plundered like fish before a skilled fisherman. Uh, I went with my dad uh, the Friday of the men's conference. Uh, we went fishing. It took a while to find them, but when we finally found them, son, we sat right there, put the anchor down, and we loaded the boat with some crappie. I mean, we probably caught a hundred crappie. It was, I'm, no joke, it was a ton of fish. And we went until literally they were stacked on top of each other in the cooler that had an aerator that we were using as a live well. Like, we fished until we physically could not keep any more fish. And it was so much fun, and it was a blast. But what was I doing? We were just throwing it out there, and anybody could catch it. He went back later with my little niece, who's, what, how old day before? Right? Five? And she's catching fish just as easy as he is, right? And so, like, it didn't take a whole lot, but they're just fishing a barrel. They're just ready to be caught, like, asking to jump in our boat. And so we stayed there and fished. She's saying, this is what Babylon is doing. And you're allowing it to happen. They worship their nets, which means they worship their own success and their own strength. Can I just tell you, that's not unique to 600 B.C., but we, we worship our own strength. It's why we, even as God's people, can look every... It's the sin of Israel, right? Israel wanted to get to the place where they had enough money, enough military might, enough uh, relations with the people around them that they didn't have to depend on God. It is not human nature to want to outsource our dependence. We want to provide for ourselves, And so we're catching all of these fish. We're providing for ourselves. We're defeating these nations. We are self-dependent. The American dream is a message of self-dependence. You can be a success and you can have it all so that you don't have to depend on anyone else for your survival. The problem is repentance begins with, God, I can't do this on my own. That's repentance. God, I am powerless, powerless to change my circumstances. I'm powerless to change the sinfulness of your, my heart. I need you to take control. I don't know that a Sunday has gone by since we have been meeting as a church that the word surrender has not been sung and preached. Why? Because that is the attitude of a heart that is worshiping God. It is surrendering life on our terms. Babylon worshiped its own self-sufficiency and we can fall into the same trap. Right? Why do we want a little bit of money at the end of our bills? And our expenses, because we don't want to have to depend on somebody else. We don't want to have to depend on God. Why are these the questions that we're, we're asking? Right? Because we don't want to depend on ourselves, and we worship those things. It's why it's a non-negotiable for you to not go to work. But your quiet time is failing. It's why your kids... Don't miss a practice or a game. But they've never had modeled how to live a Christian life and to have a personal relationship with Jesus from their mom and dad. We set them up for a career, but we completely neglect Christ in their lives. We worship at these altars too. It's not just the Babylonians. So all the finger-pointing that Habakkuk is doing, right? All of these things are happening. Habakkuk, uh, and, and so Habakkuk 2 tells us, uh, 2 verse 1, but he asks God to move, and God does. Look at Habakkuk 2, 1. I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what God will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. At, at bare minimum, man, Habakkuk at least is counting on God to answer what he is asking, right? He is fixated on God and asking God, please help me make sense of this. And God isn't just going to make sense of it to help Habakkuk. He's going to make sense of it to help God's people as a whole. 
And so let's look thirdly at trusting God's justice. Trusting God's justice. Habakkuk 2, verse 2. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that he who reads it, who may run who reads it, for still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. He's saying, Habakkuk, your problem is you're viewing everything in man's, in man's timing. And in man's timing, it sure does look like God is delaying You know one of the biggest indicators? God just laid this on my heart. You know one of the biggest indicators of how selfish we can be as it relates to what God has done in our life? Is for us to look at the sinfulness of the world and say, Oh God, please come quick. Please come quick because look at all these heathens. What were you? What were you? You were in the same boat. Your sin equally nailed Jesus to the cross. We are not dispensers of God's grace. We are benefactors of God's grace. But now our job should be to look at the sinfulness of the world and say, God, don't come back yet. There's more that needs you. But no, we've received our salvation. And so instead, the posture that we take on social media and other these places is shock and, and disgust when the world acts like the world. And all the while, God has called the church to invade culture. We don't modify culture. We create culture. And to be light and salt. But it's easier just to say, God, be done with it. Because I've got what I need from you. How dare we? Do you know why he says, come quickly, Lord Jesus, in Revelation? It's not because of all the sin. John's not looking at all the sin of all the people that led him into exile and go, God, come quickly because they need to get what they got coming to them. Do you know why he wants God to come quickly? Because he wants to be with him. Our response should not be to look at sin in other people and go, oh, please, God, come quickly before this person takes power. No. The only reason why we desire as a church for God to come quickly is because He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our love. And we want to be united with Him. If sinfulness is driving you to the place in the world, is driving you to the place where you want God to come back, you're forgetting your mission, church. And you're forgetting who you were. gospel begins with God saving a wretch like me. And then this wretch goes and finds others. So we can trust in his justice. God is saying to write it down. He wants the people in exile. For 70 years, they're going to be in exile and they're going to give up. And there is nothing like struggle that will cause us to lose eternal perspective, right? We can be real spiritual when everything's going good. But when things are bad... We pitch fits. Agreed? We get real whiny. When things are going bad, we lose all, we lose our spiritual minds. Telling God, I can't, God, I, I won't make it through this. God, I, I, I don't know how you expect me to handle this. God, you'll, you're, you're, I don't see an end in sight. There's no light at the end of the tunnel, right? We get defeated. a human perspective. God tells Habakkuk, write it down. Write it down because I'm calling my shot. <laughs> write it down, right? It's one thing to say, oh yeah, I saw that coming the whole time. I used to have teenage, I look, y'all, I had middle school kids that would come to me and we'd be playing games or whatever. Like, oh, I could have told you. We did March Madness one time and this kid, this, I, don't, I don't remember the year and I don't even remember who won, but it was some lower seated team that won and he's like, I've been saying it all along and I'm like, well, you didn't fill out the bracket, stupid. 
So it's all fine and good to say that you called it all along, right? But you didn't really call it all along. You just, Johnny, come lately to the party. Oh, yeah, when they make it to the Final Four, sure, I'll start coming all along. Like, it's crazy, right? But we do that same thing. We lose our perspective in the middle of suffering. And God's saying, I'm calling this all along. These people are going to quit. They're going to despair. They're going to be in trouble. The last four books of the Minor Prophets are sad, because they're in a desperate state. But judgment on Babylon is coming. These people will be punished. He speaks of five woes in Habakkuk 2. There's five woes. Verse 6, verse 9, verse 12, verse 15, verse 19. Woe to all of these things. And the nation of, of Babylon had, had met all of the criteria. One day... One day, judgment is coming. Habakkuk, you don't worry about it. Write it down. I'm calling my shot. Their judgment is happening to Babylon, but you just be quiet. Look at Habakkuk 2, verse 20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. That's, what we, that's the perspective we lose. In our suffering, we get so selfish, we lose who God is. God is in his holy temple. God is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silent before him. You know what he's given? Do you know what he's giving Habakkuk right there? Good old lick skillet shut up juice. That's what that is. Hey, bud. Quit asking your questions. I'm in my holy temple. Where were you when all of creation happened? Like, when, where were you as a consult? Surely I needed that, right? He's given him the same business he's given to Job. And Job 30 and following, right? Hey, where were you? I'm God in my holy temple. Let all the earth be silent. Mic drop. All the earth and your big, big mouth too. Let it be silent. And there's something to be said about referencing, reverencing a God who loves us though we go through trouble. But I want you to look at Habakkuk's response as we close. This is not in your notes, Habakkuk 3, 1 through 2, but you can follow along in the copy of God's Word. His response is prayer and worship. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, according to... To Shigianoth, that word literally means a praise song in despair. It means that whoever is singing this song is in a bad place, but they are praising God despite it. It's the same terminology that used, it's used in Psalm chapter 7 from David. In the middle of despair, they are singing a song of praise to God. O oh Lord, I have heard the report of you and your work. O oh Lord, do I fear. I don't understand it. I don't know why you would do it. But God, I fear you. I reverence you. In the midst of the years... This stuff that you're telling me, revive it, renew it, make it happen, fan it into flames. In the midst of the years, make it known. In wrath, remember mercy. God, no longer am I focused on the judgment of everybody else, but I have in full view your mercy. Mercy that you have given me and that you are extending to your people. Look what Habakkuk 3.16 says. I hear and my body trembles. My lips quiver at the sound. Rottenness enters into my bones. My legs tremble beneath me. Yet I will quietly wait for the day of trouble to come upon the people who invade us. God, what he's saying is, God, I shudder to think about the pain that Israel will endure. Under this oppressive people, I shudder to think. I literally get weak at the knees thinking about your judgment. God's judgment should never be taken lightly. But I will wait. 
There is something to be said about us adopting a posture that if it's not for us in God's timing yet, that we are willing to wait. I will wait. I will wait quietly for the day of trouble to come upon these people. I'll wait for your judgment. It's not for today. But I'll wait because I can trust you. And then he states one of the prettiest poses of Scripture that you'll read. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. We're talking about the land of Canaan, y'all. The place where the, the scouting report was, it took two men to carry out a one load of grapes, right? This place is not producing food. This place is not being kept up. Like, what a tragedy. This place stays barren even though this happens. Though the flog be cut off from the fold and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. Though everything goes bonkers, Though everything seems negative, though my life is falling apart, I will rejoice in the Lord. This is a permanent stance for God's people. I trust you. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. God the Lord is my strength. The human mission in our sinfulness and in our flesh is for our strength to come from anything other than God. I want to provide for myself. I want my strength to provide for me. But Habakkuk finally says, God, I'm going to rejoice. Regardless, this doesn't have any bearing on my obedience because my strength comes from you. See, the problem when we make prayer all about getting God's answers, we fail to recognize the true meaning of prayer. Prayer is not our way to get God to give us insight onto all the things that we're going through. That's not the primary focus of prayer. And when we make prayer about an answer, we can, we're, we're searching for gratification. Like we're surf, searching for validation. Like that's what we're searching for when we search for answers. No, prayer is very clear. The intent of prayer is clear. The only thing that we should be searching in prayer is God and God alone. It's Him. We are seeking Him. Not an answer, not gratification, not a confirmation on a decision that we should make. But prayer is not about those things. If we just understood prayer, like I've said before, is the sinking mechanism of our heart to God. Closeness is the result of prayer, not results. about us coming to a God that we are totally dependent on and saying, God, even though everything happens in a way that I can't, I don't understand, I trust you. You are my strength, not myself. Is that the posture that we have toward God? Would you bow your head and close your eyes? What's amazing to me is this is what God is calling his people to, to do in the Old Testament. And there is something very significant that has happened between then and now. And that is God isn't just available as some external presence that we can go to a temple and, and see and be around. God has made a way for us to be with him. He has made a way to set up residence inside of us. 
He has sent his son Jesus to bridge the gap from death to life. All of those in the Old Testament died believing in a Savior who would come. We in the New have received the hope of Christ, a Savior who has died for us. Proving God's love and His faithfulness, but still we doubt. Still we make it about us. So if you're here and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'd invite you invite you to to respond to him. As we talked about, the terms are surrender. No more, no less. Would you be willing to surrender your life to Jesus? Surrender your heart to him to let go of your sin, your mistakes, your failure. Here I lay it all down, right? We We sang it just a few minutes ago. This is my surrender. Would you surrender your life and would you receive life on his terms? what is offered through Jesus. Habakkuk longed to see that day. The Lord was his strength back then. How much more is he our strength today? So if you're here and you need to respond to that news, I want you to know that I'm here. We've got counselors that are here that would love to talk to you about any decision that you need to make today. Maybe you need to follow the Lord in baptism. Maybe you know that you have a relationship with Christ, but you need to take that first step of obedience and follow him in baptism. Maybe you need to join what God's doing here in the part of our church. Whatever it is, I just pray that this would be a time for you to reflect and respond on how God would call you to move. Just be obedient to him. Don't quit looking at everyone else and their sin or their glaring eyes or whatever else it is that would be all the reasons why we wouldn't respond. Just trust him. Just take him at his word and respond in obedience to him. Father, have your will and way in this place, in our hearts. May revival come. May it begin with us. We depend on you fully, Lord Jesus, to do what only you can do, to change our hearts and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Would you stand to your feet? As we sing, this altar is open. You can come and pray. You don't have to talk to me. You can come and pray. You can make the altar your seat. But if you need to do business with God, don't leave today. Don't leave this moment without doing just that.